Hi, I'm Stacy. I love talking about how to know and live out God's callings in our lives, preferably cozied up with steaming beverages in comfy armchairs. You can head to my website, stacysummero.com, for more on discernment. That's S-T-A-C-E-Y-S-U-M-E-R-E-A-U.com. I hope you're doing great. I had a huge revelation and something really exciting happened uh, last Saturday to me. A very dear friend who listens to my podcast, she's been baptized Catholic, but she's never received any of her other sacraments. She was not raised Catholic. And she just told me that she's been listening to the podcast and she really wants to receive confirmation and Holy Communion and confession and live as a Catholic. So I am beyond happy and excited. And I just would ask you to to please join me in praying for her. And she and I are going to go together to see a priest and, and talk about her entering our CIA this fall. So I am so, so excited. And I think it's a testament to the fact that like you just never know how your actions and your words are having an effect on people. So I'm beyond excited. I hope you're doing well. How are you? Um, It's been two weeks, and I'm so happy to be back with a guest named Melanie Pritchard. Um, She's an incredible woman. She is going to talk about how she literally died. Like for 45 minutes, she was dead on an operating table when she went into labor with her second child, her daughter, Gabriella. And she's going to share everything with us. I mean, I don't think you can listen to this this episode and not be moved. A little bit about Melanie. She has uh, spoken to tens of thousands of people across the nation about virtue, chastity, dignity of life issues, and suffering and marriage. And she also owns and manages Catholic Booking, which provides event planning for other professional speakers, um, including uh, Matt Frad and uh, Cameron Frad, Trent Horn, and here and there, myself. She she sometimes uh, refers me for, for speaking engagements. She's written the book, The Day I Died, Finding Hope in Suffering, and she was a featured guest on EWTN as well as the Dr. Oz Show. Now, I do want to make a disclaimer. If you have been through a recent miscarriage or a traumatic um, delivery or if you're pregnant and feeling fearful about delivery, this may not be the episode for you. I think you're going to get a lot out of hearing from Melanie how she lives differently now that she's had the opportunity to die and come back to life. And I think we're all going to learn how to live with with satisfaction in the simple things, uh, learning how to say no, which is a beautiful word, and, and how to live with gratitude. So here is Melanie Pritchard. Melanie, thank you so much for being with me on Called and Caffeinated. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. No, it's pretty early your time. So are you a coffee drinker? Are you having anything to drink? Yes. I had a cup of coffee earlier and now I'm having a second cup, but it's decaf. So I don't go all Well, good for you. (laughs) Self-restraint. I know I had two cups this morning and now I'm kind of like shaky, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I'm just doing all of the things. So what calls have you received from God in your life so far? And what did those calls look and feel like? Oh, goodness. I feel like I, you know, there's been many. Um, mm-hmm. I think one major one was when I was actually teaching in a high school. And for about four years, I was, I was, I was doing that. Um, and I really felt like, and I think it really stemmed from working with these teenagers in a public school, 
that nobody was speaking to them about the Lord. You know, nobody mm-hmm. was speaking to them about their self-worth or d- good making good choices. And mm-hmm. I would see down these paths that would just be so destructive. And so I think that kind of stirred in me this desire to do something more. And, mm-hmm. um, but I, and so I would pray about it and I would pray about it. And I really felt like the Lord was calling me to quit. And mm-hmm. he gave me this, I started to design t-shirts. I know it sounds crazy. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and they were these, these positive messages, you know, on, on t-shirts. And at the time, nobody had really created a like girls Christian t-shirt. Hmm. So I, um, I started doing all these designs and I, I had them and I started moving forward with it and kind of did it on the side. And I felt like the Lord was just calling me to quit my job and just follow the t-shirt route. And it was so crazy. Like, I mean, why wouldn't I quit my job and my insurance and like everything else? Yeah. Yeah. But I sought some really great counselors and advice and and one priest particularly who was just always so wise. Hmm. And, um, I told him what I was going to do, thinking of doing and thought he would talk me out of it. And he like prayed about it. He goes, I actually really think you're, you're, you're on the right path. Like I do think mm. the world to quit and move in this direction. And I'm thought, Oh my goodness, what am I doing? My family's going to think I'm crazy. And I, you know, what am I doing? And so I did, I ended up quitting and just trusting in the world. And I, so the t-shirts, I ended up being one of the first people to like do this. It was I had a little clothing company, which I no longer, you know, do it. It was called refuge clothing. And so I ended up getting my shirts into major Catholic conferences like Steubenville and the National Family Conference and would be at a booth selling them. And um, they were even in the stores initially in these Christian big, big name stores because there really wasn't anything like them at the time. And they were really simple. There's really great ones now. Mine were, you know, nothing compared to the ones you can get now. But I just think it's so cool because um, there's so many, when you go to a conference, because I do go to a lot of big conferences as well, and there are 20 booths with t-shirts, selling t-shirts, and they're all like beautiful. And a lot of them have that really lovely script um, yeah. design on them that's very popular nowadays. Yeah. And that's so funny. You were like, so you were like the only one yeah. selling t-shirts? Yeah. Wow. Girls t-shirts. Girls t-shirts. Girls t-shirts. It wasn't okay. long before, you know, I, I feel like everybody really kind of got on, on that board and started doing mm-hmm. it. So anyways, what happened though at those conferences is that I wouldn't sell t-shirts. Somebody would have to come with me and they'd sell them, you know, and mm-hmm. I would just end up evangelizing the teenagers the whole time. And eventually both of those conferences saw what I was doing and they're like, wait, you know, why don't you come give the girls talk at our next conference? And that's how, mm-hmm. that's how I ended up becoming, you know, a speaker and really, um, you know, just speaking at like Super Bowl conferences and National Catholic Family Conferences and, and such, because I was just, you know, sitting there at that booth talking to teenagers and mm-hmm. somebody noticed. And so it's just amazing how the Lord kind of worked through this silly idea of a t-shirt mm-hmm. <laughs> to, put me where, to kind of put me where, you know, where my biggest strength ended up being. Yeah, no, that is really amazing. I, I kind of underestimated the power of t-shirts as well. Cause there's, um, there's the manager I work with now who is, she sells t-shirts and she was like, why don't you just take two different designs to a conference you're speaking yeah. at? And I took it down. There were about 60 attendees at the conference and I sold 27 t-shirts yeah. out of 60. And I was like, wow, like people really wanted to take a piece of the conference home with them. 
And I, I didn't, uh, you know, I totally underestimated the power of that. But yeah, one of the t-shirts um, that I sell is, it says, blessed, not stressed. Oh, and nice. it's so, you know, it's so simple. But when I put it on, it really does make me act and feel differently. So that's really cool that you just found your way to these, like on these national stages through this t-shirt company. I love it. Yeah. So it's amazing how the Lord works. You never know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you are in the, in that uh, upper echelon of speakers who has spoken at Steubenville, which I'm sure must've been amazing. Yeah, I did. I spoke mm-hmm. to him for about seven or eight years. Mm, wow. Yeah. Now, when you were starting as a speaker, were there a lot of women who wanted to be speakers or, or men or women who wanted to be speakers? Or was it kind of a much smaller circle? Because now it's actually very competitive. I know I, I don't like to use that word for it, but it is. Yes, it, we really, it really was very different. I, I feel for the speakers who are trying to kind of get into that world now because it is very saturated and, and mm. I don't even know if you could make it a lifelong career. Right. There's a good chance you could be replaced at some point. And mm. I see a lot of, you know, younger speakers experiencing that. Um, but yeah, back then it was, it was the good old days where there weren't very many of us. And um, for me... And there really weren't very many women speakers. So I always call myself like the token woman at the conference. (laughs) All the other women speakers, we would never see each other at conferences because we were always, you know, so spread, spread thin. So it was like, yeah, the one woman at this conference and there was a lot of men. It's a nice problem. Like you've got too many, too many invitations. (laughs) That's a great problem. That's really cool. Um, So beyond that, um, you also got married at some point along the way. Is that right? Yeah, I actually speaking was so it kept me so busy and so fulfilled and it was so much fun traveling and and doing all that. Mm -hmm. that, um, I really wasn't even looking to get married for I mean, I just it wasn't that I wasn't looking. I was just busy. Mm -hmm. So I was running this company, you know, this t-shirt company and the speaking and all of it was just a lot. So Mm -hmm. uh, I I think I finally kind of took a look around and thought, well, I mean, maybe I should be thinking about marriage. And that was probably at the age of 27. So, mm-hmm. um, so I got married about tw- at age 29. Right. Exactly. God's timing is not going to be necessarily when everyone tells you it's, you know, quote unquote, smart to make a move in some direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you were doing his work. I mean, you were traveling and speaking and ministering to people. So it's understandable that that would be really, a, you know, a fulfilling thing for you. That's really cool. And then you had a you had a little a boy, is that right? First, yes, I had a a, a son, and we named him Brady. We got married on St. Patrick's Day, and so we were super mm-hmm. Irish. And and, yeah. and that's really yeah, I know your show is a lot on discernment, and I think that too. You know, Doug and I, that's my husband. Same, um, we had discerned before, like while we were engaged. You know, is there any reason for us to wait? You know, what do we have any real big circumstances? No. And while it was really scary, the thought of just being open to life from the get-go, um, we didn't have any, you know, we didn't have any other reason not to and thought, okay, well, we'll just trust in the Lord. You know, we'll see where the Lord, he's always, not, he's, he's led us to each other. He's led us this far. Let's just, let's see where this goes. And honestly, when we got pregnant, we were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are we capable of it? Are we, are we okay? Are we old enough? <laughs> are we old enough? Yeah. enough for this Lord? <laughs> yes. But like you said, I mean, the moment I saw my son's face, it was like, wow, it's not, it's like as if life didn't even exist before this, because Mm -hmm. this was the moment of this new beginning and amazing time in our lives. So, 
Absolutely. Yeah. If you are patient with yourself and with God, he'll show you that he's actually giving you a gift, even if you think when it first comes to you that it's not a gift or that it's just a big challenge or something that is unpleasant. Right. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Now, things got really crazy in your life when you went into labor with your second child, uh, your daughter. Um, So what happened with that whole thing? Because that is a crazy, crazy story. Yes, it is. And actually, it's, it's, you know, funny that we were, I said, we were open uh, to life from the get go. And when after our son, you know, maybe was about a year old, uh, we decided, hey, let's, you know, let's, let's be open. Let's just try and grow our family here. And I went through nine months of pregnancy, just totally fine. Went to my doctor about a week before I was due. And he said, wow, you're going to have this baby any day. And I was so excited. I went over to my parents' house because it was my dad's birthday the next day. And I said, dad, you might be getting a little granddaughter on your birthday. And I had dinner. And then during dinner, I I had contractions. Mm. And I tell you these like really small details because those are the last things I actually remember for the next probably two to three days. Wow. No recollection of, of the next few days. Um, Mm-hmm. But I've, I've heard, you know, from doctors and my husband and so many stories, and I wrote a book about it that I, I, that I feel like it, it is, you know, it, it feels like somebody else's story, but I get mm-hmm. to tell and it was me, you know, it happened to me and, and, and my daughter. Wow. Um, so I went into the hospital and, uh, you know, it was really early in the morning. Um, I asked for the epidural right away because I'm not like some of your other strong listeners who can just <laughs> I was that way too I was like no give me the drugs my mom was a healthcare professional and she's like she had eight children she's like I used epidurals for every one of my children and I was like okay that's what I'm doing <laughs> I, I thought I was this brave strong woman and I tried it the first time and I was like give me the epidural so, <laughs> here, I said okay just let's start with that you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, and once, once that happened, I was, it was, you know, home sailing. I felt, felt great. I started texting all my friends like, Oh, I feel so great now, you know? And, and they thought that was the last text they'd ever really hear from me. Um, because mm. my dad and mother, my husband, my two friends were just keeping me company in, in the delivery room. My son, he was, you know, you know, two, almost three at the time in, in the room with me. And all, all of a sudden about, you know, a half hour after the epidural and in this, just, just to know this, this wasn't caused by the epidural. It, it's, it's, a, it's a flu. Um, so about a half hour after that, I, I said, you know, what? I don't, I don't feel good. And the nurse kind of started coming over and my friend was a nurse too. And she was there and they started kind of to situate me and, and my, my father took my son out of the room thinking I was going to be sick or something. Okay. And luckily he did that because within seconds, um, you know, I started convulsing and having a seizure. My eyes rolled back into my head and my on the monitors everything just went to zero and my heart stopped beating and precipitously my daughter's monitor started to go to zero and um and i died and they called code blue which is you know over the the pa and i was at a very small community hospital who just had never really dealt with any sort of pregnancy disaster like this before and they were pretty new actually only had been there a few years. Um, so, but luckily the moment this happened, it was the shift change. And so all the doctors from the morning and from the evening and the morning were all there together. So I had so much support and people running to, to help and assist. 
Um, I was just a door over from the OR, which was huge and important in this because I, you know, here I, I, I died while my child is still in me oh and gosh. had, they had to rush me, they had to rush me, you know, straight to the OR and, um, and, and they did. And, and I, I actually, so they began working on me. Somebody started trying to do CPR on me on the way over uh. and they, you know, were in this room trying to revive me and um, they had to deliver my child before they could shock me or do anything else, you know, obviously try to save her uh, as well. And so they did an emergency C-section. They didn't use any anesthesia. Oh my gosh. Because I was dead. I was the darkest shade of blue that they'd ever seen. They say I was deader than dead. I don't know what that means in doctor terms, but oh my gosh, they did not think that it would be possible to even revive me. And actually, when they did the emergency C-section, I had no blood flow in my body, hardly any, because, you know, everything had stopped. And they said my, my womb was so blue, like they'd never seen something so eerie. Wow. Um, but they did an emergency C-section. They, they, they were able to remove my daughter. And um, she wasn't breathing for just a few seconds. They, they pumped her chest and then she took her, you know, her breasts of air and, and they, they put her into the ICU and right there, my husband, um, he met, he met his, you know, his child and then this, this situation, the circumstances, when he met our daughter, he didn't know if I was dead or alive, wow. um, what that looked like. And, and it was cute. Cause they, you know, they, we had a couple different names picked out for her. Um, and she, they asked him, Hey, what do, what do you want to name her? And he just right there just named her. You know, he said, I want her to be named Gabriella. Wow. That's, that means the heroine of God and it's fitting for this moment, you know? So, um, so he named her little girl, Gabriella, and we affectionately call her Ella. Um, Love it. That's so pretty. Yeah. Thank you. She's, she's great. She's never had any hiccups or speed bumps in, in her learning or anything. It didn't have any huge effect on her. What a miracle. Oh my yeah, gosh. Just that in and of itself. So when the doctors were, they, they, they quickly stitched me back up from that emergency C-section. Um, and then they began to do more CPR and tried to shock me. So basically, I was clinically dead for 10 minutes, but I was in and out of death for 45 minutes, meaning they were trying to revive me for 45 minutes. So they would shock me and I'd get some, you know, some sort of movement and activity and then I would die again. And then they'd shock me again. And, you know, so I'd go in and out of this. Um, so it took about 45 minutes, four shocks. And they, they, they realized I was going through an amniotic fluid embolism, which is very rare and very fatal. Mm. And then of those who can survive the initial heart attack, you know, cardiac arrest, uh, there's a 50% chance that they're going to die in the upcoming things that are going to come from this, which is like this thing called DIC where your butt blood it just gets erratic. And so, so they knew that they, they actually figured it out that, and, and that's even a huge deal because most doctors go their whole career and never see this. So mm-hmm. for one of them to have said, I think this is what she's, I've read this in the textbooks. I think this is what she's going through. We're going to need a lot of blood. And they started preparing blood um, to give to me. And so they had given me about five liters of blood, which is literally like a human person. Right. There's like seven liters in your body, right? Right. So they, oh so my gosh. They're, they're transfusing me and you know, doing this. And they, they were, my heart was bare, barely pumping and I was, you know, hanging on by a thread. 
and, and they did not think I was going to survive. So they had my family come in and say their goodbyes. They got me to this, you know, just real, real critical point just to come in and say goodbyes. But also with this, during when they were, you know, uh, working on me and trying to revive me, a man walks in the, the, the operating room and, and, and opens the doors and says, is she dead or alive? And the nurses come and they, they pull him out of the room and say, what are you doing in here? You, you can't be in here. And he says, that is my sister in there. And I'm a cardiothoracic surgeon. And I understand she just had heart failure. I'm here to help. Wow. And that's my brother. And so my brother's a trauma surgeon for, for you know, lungs and hearts. And so oh of all people to come to this really, you know, small community hospital has never dealt with this kind of, this kind of disaster before he was there and ready to assist, you know? So wow, that, that in and of itself is, is a huge miracle and how God just works in every way. And, mm-hmm. and in this story that he would have that kind of expertise and be there when needed. And he himself, his wife had just had a baby. So he was actually on leave because my brother is wow. so busy that he never would have this kind of time to come, you know, he could have been in a surgery or something like that. So to be able to be there for me in this was just of the Lord as well. Wow. So um, they kick him out, you know, that he can't, wasn't able to be in there. But when they did get to that point where they let my family come in and say their goodbyes, um, he, he came in too. And he, he started to just look over my charts. Mm-hmm. And while my husband, you know, said his goodbyes and, and my husband said to, to me, and obviously I have no memory of this, but he said, Melanie, we love you. And Gabriella is beautiful and she's fine. Wow. And we just want you to go where the, your guardian angels take you because that's where God wants you. And we just trust in the Lord. And that's, that was his like beautiful, amazing, humble, you know. Wow. That prayer. makes me cry. I'm crying yeah. over here. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, um, it's one of those things, you know, I feel like for a lot of people, this is one of those turning points. Um, where you could raise your fist to God and say, what are you doing? How could you do this to us? We were faithful. We did everything the way you asked, you know? And Mm -hmm. um, I love that scripture. It's like neither death nor life, nor principalities or things of the past, present, you know, whatever um, shall separate us from the love of God. Mm -hmm. And because God doesn't separate himself from us, but it's us that, that doesn't. These are the common times where that does happen. And I love that my husband's faithfulness leaned into God, you know, didn't raise his fists and say, how could you, but more like, okay, God, I trust in you, even in this most difficult moment, three years into marriage that I might lose my wife. And, you know, and, and this is the path you've had, you have for me. So it's just beautiful that, that, that was the way he, he responded. I don't know if I could do the same, <laughs> honestly. Either. Oh my gosh. That's incredible trust right there. Yeah. Yeah. He, wow. um, he's a, a great example to me in my own life all, all the time. So, mm-hmm. so that was his response, you know? And so at the same time, my, my brother is, um, you know, searching my charts to see what he can f- figure out. And he calls the doctors in and he says, listen, I can tell she has internal bleeding and you need to open her back up um, or else she'll die. And they said, if we open her back up, she'll die. I mean, my heart was at a, like a, like a 5% of fraction rate. It has to be a 65 to be normal. Oh my, oh my gosh. And so, um, but they came in, they did an ultrasound and they realized, wow, she does have internal bleeding. And so they did open me back up 
And again, you know, it was just amazing to have my brother there who, who really knows this, this, this stuff, you know, this kind of traumatic stuff. And when they opened me back up and this is the really a hard part to hear, they had accidentally cut an artery, a uterine artery when they oh did gosh. the emergency C-section. And remember I said I had no blood flow in my body and it was blue. So when they usually they're able to catch these things because you have blood flow, but because I didn't, they couldn't see anything. They had to quickly stitch me up to get my daughter. So I don't blame them. And it's actually a pretty common thing to happen in a, in a C-section, mm. an emergency C-section. So, um, so that's why they didn't catch it. So they put those, those five liters of liquid in my body and they, it all leaked out into my oh. body. So wow. I was huge. My family said I was unrecognizable. I was just, I was like, just my whole body was full of fluid. Oh, wow. So they, um, they took towels and they stuffed them in my, in my, you know, open body and, and mm. tried to soak it all out. And they had to leave me like that open with towels, you know, soaking for probably 12 to 24 hours, like literally a oh long, gosh. long time. Oh my and gosh. so all this while I'm going into that second phase, that's going to try to take me out again, at, which wow. is where your blood clots are adequate while, while I'm still open on a table, basically. Oh my gosh. So my brother um, really could tell them, Hey, listen, her heart's going to fail. Her lungs are going to fail. And it all happened. I was on a respirator breathing for me a hundred percent. Wow. Uh, everything was failing, but he was able to guide them on what to give me and, you know, their own wisdom. Once they were using their own wisdom and their own techniques. And so to lessen the impact of what was going to happen, which in and of itself is huge. Cause as I said, there, there are very few survivors in the world. Right. Um, you don't come back from that. Yeah. There, there, there are some of us, but you know, it's, it's very difficult. It's rare. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my brother called his contacts at Mayo Clinic and he had really good surgeon friends and, you know, cardiac friends over there. And they actually, the hospital didn't have life support that I needed. So they came and, and actually took me over to the Mayo Clinic to, thinking they were going to have to put me on life support. Mm. Now, when they came, um, they were unable to helicopter me over there because I was on so much equipment. Like I had so much equipment attached to me. Uh, they, they took me in an ambulance and it was an hour drive while I was still open. Oh my gosh. Um, and, and it was a monsoon in Arizona. We have these like crazy monsoon storms and that was oh What family to say goodbye to me again. There was very little chance I could make it on the drive. And so, um, and Ella stayed at the, the hospital where I had gave birth. And I had to be split from her. So my sister took care of her while she, you know, while she was there. My husband went with me to make decisions on my behalf because they asked if I was an organ donor, and um, and I'm not. But that that's one of those situations where you know they really, if I was, they they would have probably moved forward with that. Wow. Um, but my husband said no, no, she's not an organ donor, and I don't. I want to. I want to see where this goes. I, I have faith, you know, let's, let's, let's see where the Lord takes us. We had people praying and, you know, the, 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 the message has gone out by this point for people to just storm heaven and pray for us. And, um, so, you know, he, at this new hospital, they, they just wanted to wait till the morning. It was, it was the late evening. They wanted to wait till the morning to, um, to, you know, to just see where everything was at. 
And when I, before I had left the other hospital, by the way, my, I have really good priest friends who are like brothers to me and they came to the hospital and they gave me my last rites wow. and, and pulmonary indulgence and everything. It was, mm-hmm. you know, really, well, obviously I have no memory of it, but, um, but it was interesting because when I wrote my book, I, I was asking them questions about what that was like. I'm like, were you guys, I mean, did you go in there? Were you just bawling? I mean, I can't imagine trying to do this, something like this on me, somebody like a sister to you. And they both look at each other and they're like, no, did you cry? No, I didn't cry. Did you cry? You know, <laughs> what is wrong with you guys? You can't even start clearing my thought ready to die and you're not even to And it's the most powerful thing when I said, no, Melanie, by that time, all of your family and friends were at the hospital and you had plenty of people there to support you. We came as your priests. And we walked in that room with the spirit of the priesthood on, and it was like something happened to us, you know, as we were mm. doing these sacraments to you, you know, mm-hmm. doing, you know, for you. And it was, it was, you know, like a, like a beautiful moment there. So yeah. it's like how lucky we are to have these priests who come and serve us even in our last mo- moments and absolutely our last moments, you know, and just that, that bravery and that courage that they have mm-hmm. just, you know, unbelievable. Um, yeah. And one of those priests, followed, one of them started, had a like prayer service for me, um, which was really amazing because Matt Marr showed up and he played music. <laughs> My gosh, no, <laughs> really? That's so I cool. I heard it was like this t- amazing event that I would have wanted to be at. <laughs> he started making up songs on his own. And, and so wow. and, and Matt it lives in our town and he, he sang at our wedding and he's a friend. And, but it was just amazing. Like all the people that came out of the woodwork to just, come and pray, you know, and just, wow, just, like humble themselves to, to pray for me. It's, it's, I, I, it never, it never, it gets old hearing all the people that just, you know, prayed and mm. begged God for, for the, for us. And yeah, I heard that something like hashtag pray for Melanie was trending worldwide or something like that when you were, I can't remember where I read that. Yes, it's true. Mm. Um, I was the number one Google person for the day in Phoenix and the top 100 people Twittered about. Oh, and Wow articles that were written and then they were forwarded on Facebook like 250,000 times. Wow. It was, it was just a storming of heaven. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't even know why people would do this for us, but it's just like, I'm so grateful. And it's one of those things for me now where I'm, when somebody asks me to pray, I'm like, yep, I'm on it. You know, like mm-hmm. I've totally mm-hmm. been the recipient of that kind of love. Wow. But, um, yeah. So back at the other hospital, they, they did, uh, they did, you know, I have to show this little part, especially for discernment. Um, the, one of the priests was our, when he was a deacon, he married us and he was with Doug. He stayed with Doug at the hospital. And, and at night they, they kind of woke up in the middle of the night talking and our friend said to him, man, this is what God knew. You know, like when you guys got married, this is God knew this. And my husband like, like, what? Like he knew what? <laughs> He's like, this was your yes. This is what you said yes to. Oh my gosh. And, yeah. And Doug, you know, my husband's like, yeah, that's, this is, this was my yes three years into marriage and mm. they know better or worse sickness and in health like this, you never know. And I always say marriage is like writing a blank check, right? You never know how much it's going to cost you. Yes. And yeah. In this moment, it was, it was costing a lot for my husband to, Absolutely. to endure, you know, but, but that is the yes. Sometimes that's involved in, in marriage and the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next morning they decided to do surgery to stitch me back up because I still was full of towels. 
And they, um, I had, the other hospital had done tests on my brain in, in session and they didn't think I had any brain activity. So they thought if I did come out of this, I would probably be a vegetable of some sort, you know, some brain, uh, just lacking brain function. But th- at this hospital, they took me off the sedation and really wanted to just see where I was at. If I, you know, what my mental state was and my husband and sister were there. And apparently they, they showed me a picture of my daughter and I had all these tubes in, I had a tube down my throat, you know, breathing for me and everything. And I guess I just started thrashing and starting like trying to pull mm-hmm. tubes off of me. And so it was like this little glimmer of hope that I was still in there fighting. Wow. Before I was going into this last surgery and they told my family to say goodbye to me again before this, they didn't think I oh could. Oh my gosh. This, the impact of this, this surgery. And so, um, you know, at this point, everybody had a little bit of hope knowing that, that I was fighting in there. Like the feisty Mel was coming out. Yeah. Of yeah. I'm sure in my mind, like knowing myself, I saw a picture of my daughter and I was like, get me out of here. I'm mama bear. Like I'm coming for you. Oh. <laughs> so, um, so they, they did, it was like a three hour surgery and they were able to kind of remove all the towels and, and fix some things, stitch me back up. And then it was a wait and see. And the doctors thought that I'd probably be in the hospital for months. They thought it would take me you know, very long time to recover, if at all, if I could survive it. Um, but I just, when I woke up, it was really amazing. And my body just began to heal so miraculously. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I had to learn how to breathe again. I had to learn how to talk again. I had to learn so many things because... Because, um, and I had short-term memory loss too. So everything, everybody every would tell me what would happen and then I'd forget about it. And then they didn't have to come to the hospital room and tell me again. And like, they'd have to keep introducing me to my daughter. And, you know, it was just, it was oh, crazy. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. And, and eventually they would tell, read me the stories that were online. And I was just, I remember, started to remember those points of like, wow, this is, this happened to me? What? Like, I couldn't even imagine it. Um, wow. And, and the doctor said that in order for me to go home, I had to be able to walk and breathe, right? So every day I would just practice breathing. I also was having a hard time. And as a speaker, this was very difficult. I, I knew what I wanted to say, but I couldn't get my mouth to say it. And it was like stuttering and I couldn't say the right things. So I was having like a disconnect. And that was really frustrating because I, I knew what I wanted to say, but I couldn't yeah. say, get my, my mouth to do it. Um, and I remember particularly this one day into recovering at the hospital, uh, these nurses, I woke up and they were hovering above me crying. And I said, Oh, okay. What now? What's going on? You know, what's going on? And, and they frightened me and they said, no, no, it's okay. We, we've, we've been here 25 years and we've never seen someone survive something like this. Like we were your nurses. We were here. They're like, this is just, this is a miracle. Like this is, this is, this is normal, you know, like, wow. And I, and that was like one of the first memories I have from that of just the power of these nurses saying like this, we've done this 25 years at Mayo Clinic and never how could somebody survive something like this, you know, and mm-hmm. um, wow. kind of get it ingrained, like, okay, something major happened here. And, and then, um, you know, I, I, I would get up and I would walk every day and it was really painful. You know, I had 50 stages stomach. I had thrush on my mouth. I had, I mean, everything that was, it was just awful, like awful, excruciating, but I would do it. Cause I, I would see my daughter and my son and I would just think, okay, they need me at home. I've got to get, I got to survive this. 
Mm. And it was seven days, the whole thing from one hospital to the other to home, seven days. That's it? That's it. Oh my gosh. I was going to ask how long it took you to remember to breathe. I mean, so you couldn't breathe when you woke up and then seven days later you were walking (laughs) or less than seven days, like five days later. I was walking, you know, um, breathing and um, they sent me home. But I mean, I was in bad shape, right? (laughs) Very bad shape. Even when on the drive home, I was like, wait, should we turn back? I don't know if I could do this at home. Okay. We, I don't, I know. I was like very proud. Yes. But, and they also had to put me on a portable defibrillator because they, my, they, they were worried that my heart would stop beating again. Mm. Cause that's pretty normal for people who've had one cardiac, you know, have cardiac arrest and I had two already in the hospital. So I had to wear this contraption as a, as a newborn's mother, right? Imagine this, that if I died, it was going to shock me back to life my gosh. Honestly, that I would wear. And I had to wear it for three months straight without ever taking off except for a oh. shower. Oh so, no. <laughs> it's pretty scary. Wow. I yeah. I don't know if we have time to go into that. I won't tell you about that. That was, that was a hard, hard time of recovery at home. Um, but, yeah. but it was, you know, it was, it was amazing. And wow. Yeah. And, and you're fine now, right? I mean, you're talking, you sound great. <laughs> like your, your pictures look beautiful. Like you're back to normal now, right? Well, Okay, so after three months, the doctor said, you know, they'll test my heart and I would probably need a defibrillator that would, that would help me for the rest of my life. Mm. And this is so cool. Um, people would send me their saint relics and I mean, all over, I mean, people are just praying for me all the time. People would show up at my doorstep with amazing things. So I would put these saint relics up to my heart every night and I'd pray for the intercession of the saints to like, you know, heal me, mm. to, to pray to heal me. And um, after three months, they ran every test that they could on my heart, and I had made a full recovery. Oh, my gosh. Um, my short-term memory loss was a little harder to recover from. Um, it took about a good six months, maybe even a year before that really, you know, I could start having, you know, I wouldn't lose. You know, it wasn't like I was losing everything, but there would still be things where I'd be like, what did we do yesterday? You know, but I feel like most people have that anyways. <laughs> oh, I, since I became a mother two yeah. years ago. Uh, yeah. I'm like, I'm so sorry. We had a play date today. I, I really, <laughs> I was in my planner. It was on my phone. I totally oh, forgot. <laughs> so yeah, mom brain is real. Yeah. But yeah. Just speaking also learning how to speak again, you know, really mm. getting my mind to connect with my mouth. I played a lot of Sudoku and like, just games that would really sharpen my brain. Wow. And, and also when the doctors, when I came home, I wasn't allowed to get my heartbeat rate up. So I had a three-year-old and, and a newborn and people had to come every day and take care of them while my husband worked. And I had to sit on a couch and do nothing for three wow. months and That's just so watch, hard. watch the world go by, but know that maybe if I just take this time and I do as they say, and I don't overextend that maybe I could survive. And, you know, I kind of had to really surrender my desires and wants to raise my kids and let other people do it just so that maybe I'd have a future raising them. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's kind of a real like selfish thing, you know, that I had to just, I had to do it. I had to do this myself for the longer picture here. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So it was, it was a hard time of just surrendering. I was so excited to have you on the podcast because I imagine an experience like this must 
broaden your vision of your life. Now, you were, of course, already a person of faith. You already had heaven as your goal. You were already striving for heaven. But I think something like this, it seems to me like it would give you, it would put that end goal of life of heaven just at right in the forefront of your mind, instead of being this sort of this pinnacle that's a long way away and on the way there's a million hills to climb, that pinnacle, that end goal is right there in front of your eyes. Um, would you say that's, that's accurate? And, you know, and, and how, how do we go about kind of getting that, that long, broad view of our life and kind of really developing this hunger for heaven without having to literally die <laughs> uh, and come back to life to, to get there? Yeah. Well, it's funny because a lot of people ask me, hey, did you, did you go to heaven? Did you see the light? Did you have a, a long conversation with Jesus? You know, um, and while I have no memory of it, when I woke up from death, everything about me had changed. It was like I was a new person. I, there was this incredible innocence, this feeling of peace that's not of the earth. It was so profound. So incredible. matter of fact, I, I was on the Dr. Oz show. There's like a, a um, like a story about me on there, but there was a doctor on there too that I kind of supported his his theories, which I didn't even know he was going to be on. I just came on to give a testimony. Um, and he's he has actually um, interviewed the most people who've come died and come back to life, and has a great perspective. And they all very much share the same thing. You know, some of them have these experiences, but again. Um, I was given so many drugs and things in the hospital that even one of my doctors said, we had to give you a drug that would erase your memory so that you would not remember the trauma of um, having a C-section without any anesthesia. Wow. Locking you and all that stuff. So I didn't even know there was drugs like that, but so that could be the reason why I don't have the recollection and, and maybe someday I will. I always say, I, I'm glad I didn't because I probably wouldn't have come back because <laughs> I mean, the peace was so profound that I just... I long for heaven in those initial days of like, oh, I'd say to my husband, hey, it's okay if I don't survive again. I'm all right. You and the kids, you know, you just live life the best you can and I'm going to be where I need to be. You know, it was just like, wow. I, it was this crazy, this peace was so profound. Oh, I just long for it every day. Mm. But I knew I couldn't last. I just knew it wasn't, it wasn't of the earth. And then there was a raw, emotional, amazing, like feelings about myself. Like everything had all these walls that I'd built in my heart over doing ministry and other things have been torn down and overnight. And, and I, it was like this newness about me of having to feel authentic emotion and um, just, you know, diving back into life again. But so that, so that feeling of heaven for me is very real. While I don't have that same, I can't even get to that same peace. I'm always trying to get as close as I can. Mm, and yeah. I think that is so big is how we sacrifice our peace sometimes, but really that's where we get that, that joy, not just, not just like a fleeting happiness, but that sincere, mm -hmm. lasting joy, fulfillment, you know, ugh, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What gets that? What's get? what, sorry, take two. What gets you closest to that, that you um, can recommend for other people? I, I think it's really um, just accountability, mm -hmm. that day-to-day -day inventory of, okay, what, what is it that's ruining my peace right now? Mm -hmm. Like, do I really need to be doing that? Do I, you know, it's even sometimes it's like I'll be cruising through Facebook sometimes, you know, while I'm, you know, out somewhere and I'm nothing to do. 
And sometimes that's the thing that ruins my peace. I'm like, why am I, why am I scrolling through listening, you know, reading junk? That's just, it's just destroying my peace right now. Like I need totally. to put this aside and, and pray and get back to where, you know, to, to free myself so that I can keep letting that peace flow through me. Mm-hmm. It's relationships and friendships that I say, okay, I just have to let these go. You know, it, this is, this is not working. This isn't like, it's okay to let those things go. And, and a lot of it is surrendering, surrendering what I want to do or where I want to go with things. And just really, as you do, you know, discerning, what is it that Lord, the Lord wants me to? And maybe it's mm-hmm. just simple. Maybe it's really not everything I have in mind. And, mm-hmm. and I think simplifying my life is, is one of the biggest ways in, in prayer, obviously, um, yeah. is, is doing that. Yeah, that's all beautiful. And you just said like the most important parts of discernment, like that comes up. It's amazing over and over again on this podcast in it just it, it, when I'm praying about what to write on my blog, these things come up over and over again. And the answer, what we're really striving for is peace. And that is a precursor to heaven. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the gift from God that you are in union with him, that you're on the right path. And um, I'm going to put a, a book in the show notes. I'll, I'll put a link to a very small book called um, Searching for and Maintaining Peace by Father Jacques Philippe. Have you heard of it? No. It's really amazing. I bet, I mean, for me, it was like bombshells going off in my brain every every five minutes reading it. And I'm sure you would resonate with a lot of it because he actually talks about peace as being, like we think of peace as a result sometimes, but sort of it's negotiable. Like, yeah, maybe you'll have peace, maybe you'll not. He talks about peace as the kind of the ultimate goal here on this earth. And of course, um, uh, you know, we kind of think like, well, you know, peace, peace is sometimes just a gift. And his philosophy is like, if it's disturbing your peace, it is like, do not let it disturb your peace. You need to be like um, a, a lake where, you know, the, the waters are still so that they can reflect the sun. If oh. your peace... Mm-hmm. If your peace is disturbed, if the waters are ruffled, you are not reflecting God's love to others. And it really changed my mindset. Um, but, you know, as we look at decisions, as we, as we go through life and we're discerning our decisions, I find that the ones that are, that are right, God is going to put that sense of peace in your heart. That's sort of unquestionable. And, um, and you can kind of think through different scenarios and think, okay, if I choose this, what will I what will that be like? And you can imagine your life as it is. And then if you choose this, what will that be like? And I know like for, um, for my decisions, when I feel that sense of peace, as I'm imagining what this, the outcome of choosing this scenario would be, that's the right one to, to go for. Yeah. I, I would agree. Yeah. Somebody had a call my heavenly peace, this experience. Mm-hmm. And I, that the priest is right on. I actually would love to read that book. Um, yeah, check it out. It's like $8 on Amazon. Yeah, I'll, I will definitely read it. Awesome. It, it is worth living for. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, it's so like, I can't even imagine having an experience like you had. And, and it must be hard for you now too, having experienced that peace and then realizing, no, I have to, I have to do the thing like I have to do the daily grind. And obviously, I'm sure you're so glad you're here. But at the same time, too, like, all those little, I don't know, all those little annoyances, are they, are they worse now that you've had the peace or are they easier because you know what's coming? You know what? I'm so grateful to be alive and to get to mother my children and be a wife to my husband and all that, that mm-hmm. even the little annoyances, because 
you know, waking up from death is on, on, it took a toll on my body. So while all of my major organs have, you know, healed and, and everything is good, um, I have a great deal of muscle pains and, and you know, things like that and inflammation. Mm-hmm. So I always tell, I always tell everybody, it's like I woke up in a 65 year old woman's body, you know, or mm-hmm. maybe 80 year olds. I don't know. There's some really healthy 65 year olds. So, um, so I, I have to, you know, kind of deal with that, but I always say to my, my kids and, and my husband, like, Oh, I would, I would, I would do this in a heartbeat to spend another moment with you. Like, mm-hmm. you know, even when, it, when my kids were little and they were throwing fits or something and I just thought, Oh, I can't deal with this today. Or how am I going to get through this day? It was like, I get to get through this day. Like mm-hmm. I get to do th- I don't, you know, what am I complaining about? I don't, even if they're, if we're having a rough day, I get to be in this with them today. Let me embrace it. And mm-hmm. so it's that, that constant perspective, the good, the bad, and the ugly, I'll take it to spend another moment with them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, like, that that piece is to come and I'm excited for it, but now is the time to live every moment here, you know, mm-hmm. getting my kids to heaven to my husband to heaven, everybody I meet to heaven mm-hmm. and get on that path with me. So, so yeah. it's, a, it's a good life. <laughs> and that's a great lesson for all of us, you know, like get, like get to heaven and get everybody, you know, to heaven, <laughs> like just like that's, that's it in the morning when you wake up, it's just that simple. I was reading this, this book, this interview that you gave to, to Redbook, and you said um, a really interesting quote. You said, um, since I came back to life, I've stripped away all that isn't important, and I focus on what actually is. My family and the life we lead together is heaven on earth. I focus on cherishing every moment with them and letting them know every minute how I feel about them and not taking anything for granted, which I love. I love that you said that. Um, and I love that you said heaven on earth. Like This is the beginning of heaven right now. Is, um, is that ability to feel that peace. So is there anything, you know, we talked about how much you love your family and prioritizing them. What other things are priorities for you now? And what do you let go of that's no longer important? Yeah, I mean, like you said, it, it really is my family. I just, I want to be the best wife, the best mom. That's my priority. And so then everything else kind of gets balanced out through that. You know, what, what more can I take on that doesn't, that doesn't take away from this, this in my life, this, this call that I have to, you know, to be the best mom and wife. And Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, a lot of things get stripped away from there. Sometimes it's, it's, is people asking, you know, people ask me to do a lot of things or be in a lot of committees or um, board or things. And I'm always like, Nope, sorry, I can't. I, I, you know, I, I would have to miss my son's basketball game and I can't do that, you know, or mm-hmm. like, I, I just, I want to, I want to live every moment with my kids that I can and I want to see them. And I think too, um, some of the things that I have to prioritize are, I think as adults, it's really hard to not be addicted to our phones Mm-hmm. And smartphones and, and I, I work for myself so my phone is where I do a lot of my work you know so mm. it's about like putting the phone down even if you're you know sometimes I'll be outside my kids like to play out on the front you know or backyard or wherever and and sometimes it's really boring for me <laughs> I just want to pick up my phone and just mm-hmm. kind of scroll or read emails or whatever and I've had to over the years, and I do fail at this a lot sometimes, and sometimes I get it right, you know, um, where I just have to put it down and catch the moments, even, even, you know, those moments that I, I may not think are going to be fun. They always are. I always mm-hmm. catch something, 
And I remember the first time my son made a basket, it was like hmm, a few years after, you know, into my recovery, maybe even like four years. And I was outside and I took my phone with me, which I, I usually don't do. And it was on it. And then he made his first basket ever. And mm-hmm. I missed it. And I was like, what am I doing again? Mm-hmm. Like, I need to recommit. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. My path, you know, of commitment of trying to catch the moments and be in it with them and not, you know, I want to live every moment present and with them and rolling around in the dirt with them if that's what it takes or, you know, mm-hmm. playing basketball with them or whatever. I, I sat three months on a couch and could do nothing. And now I get this chance to do everything. So yeah. it, it's just that balance of trying to put things down and simplify and silence you know, the world so that I can pay attention to these beautiful and amazing people in front of me. Mm-hmm. Yes. I totally hear you about the no thing. Um, oh, just going back to saying no to committees and so forth. Like if I had 15 lives, I still wouldn't have enough time to do all of the things, all of the things <laughs> like there's just so many things. And I found I was, I'm surprised that like 80% of the time, I need to say no. And there's a lot of times where I think like in the future, if somebody asks me to do something that's like six months in advance, I'll say like, sure. And, you know, and then I think, oh, I'll have time for that in six months. I don't have anything on the calendar yet. But then six months rolls around and it's like, oh my gosh, I said yes to five things in a week. This is not good. You know, so (laughs) just learning to say no and learning to say no enough that you have like wiggle room in your schedule is that is hard for me, but I think that's a huge and super important lesson. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I think it's interesting too, this brings me to another kind of related, but separate point about your ministry, your speaking and your t-shirt selling, like you were very happy and fulfilled doing those things. That was something that was a part of you for many years, but it seems like you have kind of let that go since you had your, um, your health crisis. Is that true? You know, when I woke up from death, it's funny because before I died, I said, it's just um, funny that I talk like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, before I died, I had said to the Lord, you know what? Now that I have Ella, I'm going to give up speaking and I'm no longer going to do it. And I'm just going to have five kids. And I'm going to, you know, I just had like this plan. Mm. Right? And then this kind of tra- this traumatic turn took. And when I woke up, I knew that the Lord wanted me to use this talk, like my story to, to help others. So that wasn't kind of the end of speaking. It was just a, a, a changing, like he had prepared me in my speaking on so many other topics now to, to go forward and talk about suffering and the peace of heaven and all of these things. And so um, I've, I've always still felt called to share this story. Like if somebody wanted to do a podcast interview with me on something else, I'd probably say no, <laughs> sure. but because we could, talk about my story. I'm like, I'm in let's, yeah. let's, you know, cause I feel very called that that is the direction. If I do speak that, that, that is it. But, mm. but I limit that even. Um, so it's not that I've given it up completely, but I just don't feel like the other topics or other things are where the Lord is calling me now, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, and then with that, you know, I, I started my own business called Catholic booking and I book for, a few different speakers, um, mainly like Matt Frad and Cameron Frad and Trent, and I do some work with Trent Horn. Um, and so, and, and even you, we've, we've talked about things and others. And I love that because, you know, my kids are at school now and 
when they're at school, I get to work for really amazing people who are out there in the world doing awesome work. And I get to do it from home behind and be that support, you know, just be there supporting them in a world that I really know this, this kind of speaking world. Yeah. And I get to be a part of it, but I can also detach from it. I don't have to fly away and, and go do it myself mm-hmm. and be away from my children. I get to be part of something great, but then, you know, at th- three o'clock, I get to be in the car line <laughs> waiting just like every other parent for their kid. <laughs> you know, and get to, get to experience it all. So it feels, it feels great. But again, how the Lord works that, that while I'm not kind of, that was very fulfilling, but I'm more fulfilled now helping others. Like I I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's really interesting. I've kind of found the scene to be a bit true in my mothering journey on where it's like, you don't let go of yourself but you just use it in different ways and you kind of hone in a little bit. You specify like, okay, you don't have to say no to a career or the things that fulfill you as a, especially as like a stay at home mom, when you have a family or a father who needs to support his family, you know, following his own passions, you don't have to say no to your passions and the things that fulfill you, but you just, you kind of just let go of some of the, um, hopefully you let go of some of the, the need to have like this career or the need to make it this thing that kind of rules your life. It's just, it takes a healthier place in the kind of the, the ladder of priorities. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's hope in that. Um, actually I want to uh, give you one last question. This is from a listener. Um, and she, so she's actually struggling with this. I think she's a theater performer in New York city, but she also has a boyfriend in the picture and she's kind of struggling to, you know, figure out her, own artistic kind of desires, what full, what she feels right now fulfills her versus kind of settling down and having a family. Now, I haven't actually talked to her in detail. We are supposed to have a, a more in-depth chat, but since I was catching you today, I thought I would just ask you for input. Since you've kind of had this, this end-of-life experience and come back from it, you know, what would you advise her as she kind of discerns um, this vision and what she wants for her life and what God's calling her to? Yeah, that's very hard. Because like I said, as a speaker and early on before I got married, I was so satisfied. I just I loved what I did. And I it was such an adventure and, and I had such joy in it. Mm-hmm. I'm actually worried seeing, seeing what's out there in the world. I worried that marriage wouldn't be as adventurous and as fun and having kids and all, you know, all that you see. Right. And so I think that even is probably why I delayed marriage for so long, um, even in my 20s. Uh, because I, I didn't, you know, I didn't know any better. I didn't know. I was worried that, Oh, it's, it's a choice. It's one or the other. And then what if I give this up, which is so fun and I love it. And I get married and I have kids and I'm just, and what if it's not fulfilling? And there was that fear. And eventually, you know, I had to kind of grow through that and really trust in the Lord. And I'm glad I did because while marriage and kids are very different kind of adventure, it's the greatest one I've ever had. Mm. And and so, like, I would give, I would give anything up for this, like anything. And it wasn't even that experience that taught me that. I think I had that before, mm-hmm. but uh, but that experience deepened it. Like now, now, like I know I'm on the right track. I'm glad I that this was this is so much more fulfilling and has given my life m- way more purpose than anything I could have ever done mm-hmm. you know, with my talents and, and everything else. But like you said, I think then the Lord just uses it in different ways, you know, where, where I can help people do it. Or, or even right now, uh, my son's going into sixth grade. He's in middle school. And I started, 
I had run a program for, for teens, you know, for like many years in our diocese, whatever. And I'd stopped so I could really be a better mom. And, um, but I'm doing it in my house now for him and a few of his friends. And it's so cool. Like, it's so great that, that the Lord, like I, I'm using the same things I took to the, into the world and was helping everybody else's child with. I get to do it in my home with my son and his friends and this little community that we have going on, you know, with, with that. And I feel so much joy and fulfillment from that. Like if, 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 if all that my speaking and training and everything did was to make an impact on my own child, I would, I'm grateful. Like if that was the whole purpose just for this moment right now in our home. Yeah. I'm grateful for all that training and experience just to have this like, happening in my home where nobody else sees it or knows about it. But it's, to me, it's like the, the it's like the pinnacle. Now I get to do this with my own child. How amazing. Yeah. And we live lives that are so public now with everyone can be a superstar on social media, that the idea of having the greatest joy be in the things that are hidden is kind of, it's very countercultural, but it's really cool to hear you say that. Yeah. I think, mm-hmm. I, I think the next generation hopefully will be, like the cool thing will be, you know what? I don't want to have a digital footprint. Mm. Like, like just, I want to be you know, anonymous in this way. I don't want people to see what I'm doing every minute. I, I know for me, it's like I'm trying to strip that always. Like mm-hmm. back to the simplicity of not having anybody know what I do every day. Or, yeah. you know, the, just the people that are around me and I care about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and, and that's your end of life experience. Like the end of the day, is it really that important? No. no, not really. Yeah. Um, I know for this young lady who's discerning this marriage and family versus, you know, her life right now, I, I would say as, as you were talking, I was thinking about like my life as well before I had children. And it's really hard to know how much you're going to love your child until you actually meet them um, or children until you actually meet them. So that's one of the tough things about discerning a decision like this is like, you don't know what that love is going to be like. So you don't, the basis of comparison isn't there. So yeah, I, if I were to add my two cents, I would say also just really surrendering it to God and saying, I trust that your plan for me, like, like I trust that your plan for me is going to be better than what I want at this moment. So please make me desire what it is that you want for me. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a prayer the Lord answers. Oh, I do too. Mm-hmm. He said the hundredfold. I'll bless you a hundredfold. Yes. 100%. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your story, which is incredible. I know it's going to move a lot of hearts. Um, and just God bless you and all of your work. And um, hopefully we will chat again really soon. Sounds good. Thank you, Stacy. God Thanks, bless you. Melanie. I hope this episode adds as much value to your spiritual life as it has to mine. As always, please take 10 seconds, head on over to iTunes and just click that little friendly five-star review button and tell me what you think. Uh, And maybe if you don't have positive feedback, tell me on my website what you would like to see different. Um, I'm super open to questions and I just want to serve you with this podcast. So let me do, let me know how I can do that better, please. We're going to transition now into a sung reflection. This is in Paradisum. It is a traditional Gregorian chant, uh, which I love so much. And this is in memory of my friend Sarah's father. So he passed away today. And please join me in praying for Sarah's father and all anyone who has lost someone recently. Um, I, this is for you as well. Um, this the, the lyrics are so beautiful. I think you're going to love them. May the angels lead you into paradise. 
May the martyrs receive you at your coming and lead you into the holy city, Jerusalem. May the choir of angels receive you, and with Lazarus, who once was poor, may you have everlasting rest. In the Lord, the Lord.